This is the Summit Life Ministries audio experience. Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to the Age Changer Show. And this is Lynn Furrow. And it is our vision uh, to elevate the church's vision to see uh, our identity in Christ through the framework of God's eternal purpose. And we desire to equip believers to live with an eternal perspective as we pursue our upward call in Christ. And finally, we desire to empower and encourage believers to live a God-sized supernatural lifestyle in faith-filled obedience. Well, as you notice in the last three episodes, and the third one being today, uh, you notice that I am missing my sidekick and partner that is normally at my side for the Age Changer show. But my wife, uh, in the day of, of, of recording these sessions, she has been helping equip uh, a group of children and young people uh, in prayer. And so she has been uh, modeling for them uh, what we call a harp and bowl model of, of, of merging and marrying uh, worship and prayer together. And and I was there for a, a part of it before I had to come and do these recordings today. And it was glorious. It caused me to weep as I saw uh, very young children, but also some preteens and teens as they were learning a vocabulary and a language of prayer based upon praying God's word back to God. And God is raising up a mighty generation uh, that is going to become a part of a prevailing church. It was so exciting to see their hunger and their desire to pursue the things of God. And uh, as, as an older believer now, I wanna be able to run with them. <laughs> and what a blessing it is. Well, we have been on a series called Contending for Fullness. And as a part of that teaching, we've been encouraging us out of Colossians chapter three, that if we are going to know what fullness is, if we're going to experience fullness, we've described fullness as that which Christ is living now at the right hand of God in his ascension life. There are three, I call them the triple crown of Christ's achievements. I call them uh, a trifecta of truth. And that is, there are three pillars of Christ's life experience that has great significance for you. And they represent forgiveness, freedom, and fullness. It's the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension. And a lot of the church is focused upon Christ's atoning work on the cross, and we will never minimize that. We will always glory in the cross. It is the gateway of our salvation. But many people just minimize then the significance of the resurrection and the ascension is kind of like, okay, we know Jesus went back to heaven, out of sight, out of mind. Well, the Holy Spirit is wanting to bring equal emphasis upon all three dimensions of that expression of Christ's life. Because we know that we are called to be co-crucified with Christ. I'm to share and to have um, 
an exchange of life experience. I'm to fellowship with Jesus in his sufferings and I'm to be co-crucified with him. And as I am uh, co-crucified with him, I know what it is then to become dead to sin to where sin no longer becomes uh, a, a thing that has dominion and power over my life. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I become forgiven for the things that I have done, but not just uh, forgiven for the deeds and the transgressions, but also I become free from the power of sin itself. Then there is this resurrection life, as we see, that comes through the, the power of the resurrection that was revealed when Jesus was raised from the dead. And that is that not only are we forgiven, our sin issue is forever dealt with. If I'm ever going to reflect back upon what, what, what my life was in the past, I view it through the prism and through the filter of the cross. Those sins no longer demand my punishment. They are under the blood. <clears throat> there is no outstanding warrant for my, uh, for my arrest. There is no warrant out uh, for, for my punishment and a capital punishment, which is the wages of sin. I have been forgiven. Therefore, now I am free. Free. Free from what? Free from sin's dominion. But now free to live a new life, an opportunity to live life all over again, but a life of overflowing God kind of abundance. And that is expressed through the ascension of Christ. So we have been crucified with Christ. We've been raised with Christ, but we've also been now seated, ascended and seated together with Christ in heavenly places. And so for me to understand what fullness is, I must focus my attention, focus my gaze, that which animates me, motivates me, that which drives me as a seeker, and this is where we left off last week, is, is to begin to seek those things that are above. Because Christ right now is not just passively sitting in a throne chair going, well, I'm waiting around until I can come back to earth. No, he is actively ruling, actively reigning. He is actively declaring and decreeing and, and adjudicating and administering his kingdom. And I wanna know what he's doing. I wanna know what he's saying. I wanna know what he's feeling. And so I wanna follow up as we conclude this segment of teachings called Contending for Fullness. I wanna talk about the primary characteristics of a seeker. And let's go back to Colossians 3. It says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. That's being motivated to go heavenward. Where? Where Christ is seated, and which is that whole place called the Holy of Holies, the throne room of God, the abode of God, where God the Father dwells, you know, not on some outer realm of heaven, but no, we, we are invited and we have been given access to the very holy of holies where, where Christ is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Then it says, as we seek those things are above, 
This is what seeking looks like. Verse two says, set your minds. I can tell how intentionally I'm seeking by evaluating the thoughts that I'm having and the mindsets that make up the composition of my thinking. That's why renewal thinking, having our mind renewed, being transformed is one of the most essential aspects of renewal life. Because if, if I don't allow, even though I'm saved, even though I'm forgiven, and I've, I've been born again, unless I renew my mind, that begins to influence my will and how I feel. Unless I renew my mind and I fill my mind with heavenly realities and eternal certainties and the truth that is found in Christ Jesus. I can still live disconnected from his heart and his life that he invites me to share. So it says, I want you to set your minds. I want you to have certain mindsets as you begin to seek the things that are above. And what this means when it says, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. He's saying that all of our thoughts need to be like-minded. They need to be in unison. They need to be harmonious. They need to be agreed together. When it says, set your mind, this phrase that is used in the English translation, English Standard Version here, is the same phrase that is translated in other passages where it says, the apostles were like-minded or, or they have the same mind towards one another. This is the same Greek word that is now translated in this phrase, set your mind. That's why I defined it that way. It's not based upon me trying to uh, take set your mind and, 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 and talk about harmonious thinking and being like-minded because I wanted to say it that way. It's based upon the same Greek word and how it's translated in various passages of scripture. So I could insert the phrase, I want you to be like-minded on things that are above. In other words, there should be an integration of your mind and your heart to, to have all of your thoughts be integrated together where, where they are heavenward where I'm not duplicitous, I'm not double-minded, where a part of me is like, yeah, I like to think about heavenly things and I, I like to gaze on God and I like to, I like to contemplate uh, Christ's life and his, what he's experiencing now, but then half of me is still looking at earthly things and saying, man, that, that, that looks attractive and, 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 and really we should say, that looks distracting because many things that have an allure in the earth, they're nothing but a massive distraction to us. And so we can become double-minded. We're warned by James not to be du duplicitous in our thinking because the one cancels the other out. Many Christians, they, as a, a spiritual leader, they'll come to me and say, you know, you, you teach these things and you're pretty passionate and emphatic when you declare them. And, 
And, and it's like, yeah, this is what Jesus Christ came to give us. But my reality is I, I, I don't have that type of spiritual experience. And as I try to help them, I just say, well, kind of what you're thinking like. Not, are you born again? Because obviously they're, they're wanting to figure out why their life experiences is, is not the same as what Christ promised. Well, God has given us possession of a great inheritance in Christ. We have been given a great position in Christ. We're seated together with him. There is nothing that God has withheld from us in Christ. We have been blessed with him in the highest realms in heaven. But the issue is, is will we appropriate by faith? And if my faith is weakened or if it is diluted by a mixture of things that that do not allow me to focus my faith on where the source of my help comes from. And I, I'm looking for other resources and other avenues and other things. Then I live a, with a diluted faith life that lacks focus. Hebrews chapter 11 verse one says, now faith is the substance. It's a eternal substance. It's something that is imparted to us and it is, it is a part, a measure of the faith that Christ possesses. And it says it is the, the substance of things that we're anticipating. But then it says it is a confident assurance of those things that we are, we are wanting, we're desiring, we're looking for. Faith is the substance of things Hope for it is the evidence or the confident assurance of those things that are unseen. And so I can dilute my faith. I can break my faith down to where it has no chance of actually receiving from God and accessing those things in the heavenly realm because I'm still earthly minded. So there is there is a phrase that has been uh, coined and and. I think that probably the person that coined it originally, you know, their motivation was was probably harmless in saying it. But I grew up hearing it. And, and whenever people would become passionate about their spirituality, whenever they were on fire, I heard I heard older believers say, Oh, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Well, can I just say this? If there's ever a need for heavenly people, it is today. And this is what I wanna counter that saying by saying this. I believe the more heavenly minded I am, the more earthly good I become. I think really what that person was saying is that people are heavenly minded and it doesn't seem like they're of any earthly benefit. Well, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, the Bible describes the people that live and walk by faith and are living supernatural lifestyles and faith-filled obedience. It said they are considered as being unworthy of walking the earth. The, the world is unworthy of them. 
Carnal Christians and uh, sinners will always misunderstand and misinterpret and not value spiritual people. But actually, uh, it, is, it is heavenly people that are the salt and light that preserves this planet. And if there was ever a day for deep people, mature people in Christ and heavenly people, people with a heavenward gaze, it is right now because I believe that they are the ones that can cause the kingdom of God to come and his will to be done. Now, I want to finish this by having us go over to Romans chapter five, verse seven, because you say, okay, Lynn, I, I want my gaze to be heavenward. I wanna know what Christ is doing as he is ruling and reigning, as he is continuing to advance his kingdom. But practically, how does this affect my life here? Well, just as he is a king, you're also called as a royal priest. You're also called to be a kingly priest. You, God in Christ has now taken the office of priest and king and brought them together in one office after a different order of priesthood. And so if we are called into a high calling that is in Christ Jesus, you and I are also going to function primarily in two distinct dimensions, but in one office. It's gonna have a kingly dimension, it's gonna have a priestly dimension, but now those offices have been combined into one. And so you are a king priest before your God. The priestly dimension means that there is this thing where I represent the needs of man unto God. Many men, many individuals do not know how to pray for themselves because they have no personal relationship with God. God invites us to act as intercessors, to act between as a, in Christ, in Christ's stead, we are to have that ministry of reconciliation. We're building bridges, we're peacemakers, and we're trying to pray for them and, and lead them into a relationship with God, bringing them through the person of Christ. But then there is this kingly, regal, regent dimension of our call, and that is the advancement of the kingdom of God. And that if you talk about any type of a kingship, any type of a royal capacity or office, we talk about that person after they're seated, after they're coronated, after they're exalted to their throne, they reign. And I want us to look at this language in Romans chapter five of how Paul described the Christian life. Romans five seventeen, he says this, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned, had dominion, had influence, had authority through that one man. So Adam was the ruler over the earth, but when he became infected and infested with sin, his reign started to influence that which he was reigning over and who he was began to influence everything that he touched. And that was that sin, like a cancer, spread throughout all creation. 
his reign would be known as a reign of sin. It would be a reign of fear. It would be a reign of of bondage and slavery. But it says much more. If, If we see the compounding impact of the reign of sin through the life and the lifestyle of Adam, he says how much more will those who received the abundance, here's that word, overflowing fullness, effervescing fullness, supraabundance of grace. That's what's been made available to you. The term grace has two primary definitions. One is more important than the other, I believe. One, it means that God has made available to you all of his power, all of it. The almighty God has made all of his power available to you as a believer. There's nothing that God is withholding from you. The resurrection was and is an exhibition. And Paul, when he's invited us to pray that apostolic prayer in Ephesians 1, he said, I pray that the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of your heart that you would know the exceeding greatness of his power that was exhibited through Christ when God raised him from the dead. God, and and that exhibition was for us who believe. Believe what? Believe that God can do anything at any time and that nothing is impossible with God. That God can save us to the uttermost. There is no demon. There is no devil. There is no power of hell that can stop God's saving work and the redemption of mankind and and the, the breaking of the curse off of this planet. The power of God has been made available to us. But then also with that availability of power comes God's unmerited favor that marries with that power. The reason why God makes that power available to those of us that are not deserving of it or qualified to receive it is because God has leveraged the righteousness of Jesus, the sinlessness of Jesus. And he's saying, I'm going to treat you as I would treat Jesus. And the righteousness of Jesus is so great, it can make up for any of the lack of righteousness that you have. So I'm going to give it to you as a gift. And so we let, let the poor now say that we are rich, rich because now we've received the richness of his grace. We've received the exceeding greatness of his power, resurrection life, the abundance of his life that, that, is, that is greater than the power of sin and death. And it's something that we don't deserve, but God says, I'm gonna give you my favor. And with that favor, I'm gonna release to you my power. And this is what it allows us to do. It says, we receive the abundance, the overflowing fullness of grace and the free gift of righteousness. And it allows us to reign in life, to rule in life, to have that type of kingly influence in the life in which we live here upon the earth. A heavenly life now. So I keep saying this quote, paraphrasing it. Don't wait to die. 
before you experience heaven. Salvation is life. Learn to experience heaven before you die. Allow grace to reign through you today. I want to pray for you quickly. Father, we just thank you for the all-surpassing greatness of your power. We thank you for the greatness of your grace and the free gift of righteousness that is in Jesus. We receive it now. Transform our life into something that reflects that which is in heaven. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in us just like it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, God bless you. We love you. What's up, everybody? This is Josh Furrow from the Summit Life Ministries team. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe, leave us a review, and have a blessed week.